guide our paths. May we learn from you today in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Hebrews chapter 8, starting in verse 1 to 1 to 13. We're going to take the whole chapter today. You ever, back in the 80s, did anybody share the gospel with you back in the 80s? You remember the big thing about people sharing the gospel in the 80s? Ever? Anybody? What was, their, what was, the, what was the pitch? Turn or burn? I think that was more 50s or 60s. <laughs> Not so much the 80s. That Jesus has a wonderful life for you. That Jesus is a plan for your life, and it's a wonderful plan, right? I remember going through the 80s when I got saved, uh, 1983, and I remember, no, I got saved in 79, but it wasn't until like 82, 83 when I really got serious with the Lord and really surrendered everything to him. And I remember that that was one of the things that our church was always talking to people about, you know, God has, a, God has a plan for your life, and it's a positive plan, it's a good plan. And it came from uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah 20, 11, it states, you know, for I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord, plans to give you a hope and a future. So plans for good and not for calamity. And so that's where that came from, and, and there was this whole movement. Well, here, the writer of Hebrews is going to sum up everything that they have been saying up until this point, they're going to sum up that we have a better way. We have a better covenant. We have an awesome promise because Jesus fulfills the law in a way that the law could never reach. It can fulfill his promise and his guidance can fill your heart and change you from the inside out because the law can't do that. All the law can do is expose what's on your inside. It cannot change your inside. And that's the key of understanding Hebrews chapter 8. In fact, that's the key to understanding Hebrews, that there is a better way for us. And so we want to unpack that a little bit today. Because part of it is, I don't know if you've ever had a promise given to you that has been broken. Any of you had broken promises? Yeah? Some of you have been the promise breaker? Yeah? Yeah? <laughs> Nobody's raising their hand for that one. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. But people do make promises and they don't keep it. You know? Um, you know, the whole thing, you know, marriage vows have been violated. Promises never materialize. Moms and dads not following through with what they said they would do for their children or be at an event or this or that. Uh, uh, the degree from the university didn't live up to what it was supposed to be. And so now, you know, you've got how many people that are out homeless that are actually educated people with degrees because it didn't turn out the way they wanted. Uh, politicians make promises. We already know that they're lying because their lips are moving, you know? It's kind of that whole thing. So <laughs> maybe a friend, a close friend, their loyalty to you was broken by them sharing a secret, by them sharing an issue you may have with someone else. And so that confidence was broken. That might be why a lot of people today, in fact, I was just reading an article on, on why the majority 
see of young adults are leaving the church in droves is because they don't feel like the church is living up to its promise to them. And part of that promise is, especially in very dogmatic churches, is that, hey, just live out the word of God. Don't interact with society. And just do the word of God black and white. And if you can do the word black and white, you're going to be okay. You're going to be like us. Well, I'm sorry. They're not in a black and white world. They're out there, you know, with all kinds of social things going on and all kinds of different ideas about living life and personal morality and all that stuff. And they don't have the key to be able to impact that world the way Jesus impacted that world because they're too busy living stiff, solid, biblical lives. Okay? If I'm speaking out of turn, shout me down. But that's the problem with that age group is the questions that they're asking aren't fitting that narrow definition of Christianity. So how do we love like Jesus? How do we do the things like Jesus but still have a moral standard? Those are the big questions they have. And so we need to train them up in a way to be able to interact with the world but still have a biblical standard. And that's a tenuous thing to do. That's just a little aside, but that was just something I was reading the other day. Jesus makes promises to us. You all have a promise that will, you will not see fulfilled until the hour of your death, right? Do you believe, beyond a shadow of a doubt, because we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do this next week, we're going to celebrate Easter, Easter is all about the promise. Jesus told his disciples, and he told the Pharisees, destroy this temple, and on three days I will raise it up again. And the Pharisees like, it took Solomon how many years to build this temple? There's no way you're going to, you know, they didn't get it. He was talking about himself, John says. And he told his disciples, I am going to be handed over to the abusers, to the ones who are going to murder, kill me. I'm going to be handed over to unbelievers. I'm going to be an outcast. I'm going to be, and I'm going to be, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise up on the third day. And on that third day, everything changes. Because he kept his promise. His promise was to be resurrected. We'll talk about that next week. But in that, we have now grabbed hold of that promise, have we not? By, by saying you're a believer this morning, like the writer of Hebrews is talking to the believers, by saying that, he's saying that we hang our hope on a promise that has been given to us by Jesus Christ. Therefore, that should change you into not living for the temporary, but living for the eternal. That should change you from not going back to the old Mosaic law of right and wrong and all that kind of stuff that they've been talking about, about a priest, the high priest, but not the high priest, all of that stuff that we talked about last week, but to hang on to the words of Jesus as the one who has given you life from within. Am I going over your heads right now? He wants us to live a life where we're walking with him daily. 
I was talking to Pete this morning real quick. I'm not giving away any secrets. It was just chit-chat. But we were talking about, you know what? If you were to take all the Gospels and condense them down into time, really you only have maybe two to three months worth of stuff there if you just put them all together. Of course, we, have, we know that his ministry was three years, but what happened in the in-between time? What happened in those four days when he was sitting with his disciples when they came and told him Lazarus was sick until he actually went to go see and raise Lazarus? What happened in those four days? Because in one verse, you have him coming and he says, no, it's, he's, not, he's not sick. It's going to be all right. And then later, we find out, oh, it's time to go see him because he's, he's actually dead. That's four days. What happened in there? So we have a lot of that. We have a lot of spaces in between where we don't have the story of Jesus. I would have loved for, well, John actually talked about that. John said, hey, if we were to say everything that Jesus did, a day-by-day journal, there's not enough books in the world that can contain all the information. So there's a lot more information out there that those guys know about that when I get to heaven, we're going to have a chat. So tell me about those four days. What, what exactly did you guys do? around the campfire all day long. And also, you got to remember, he was walking everywhere, so that takes time. But what were they doing while they were walking? What were they chatting? What was he pointing at? Was he playing with kids? Was he doing stuff with the children? Was he, you know, what was he doing? I don't know. One day, day, but we have to hold on to the promise. Would it be different today if you knew today or if you knew in the next five minutes you were going to give your last breath would your trust in Jesus be different than it is right now when I talk about trusting in a promise I'm talking about trusting in a promise giver who has never broken a promise ever because he cannot be God if he breaks his promises and when God, if we've, as we've noticed in the last seven chapters of Hebrews, God made a covenant with his people. And his people have broken the covenant. Not God. The people. We're the covenant breakers. We're not the promise keepers. He's the promise keeper. Jesus is the great promise keeper to us because he gives us the greatest promise that ever is, which is salvation that you cannot earn. And that's the promise that we have from him. Let's start. (laughs) That was just a preamble. Wow. Wow, and they're married. There's both sides right there. Okay, let's continue. Now the main point is what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the, might of the majesty in the heavens. A minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which is which is the Lord, but which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, hence it is necessary that the high priest also have something to offer. 
Now, if he were here on earth, he would not be a great, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle for quote, see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was, which was shown to you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by such as he also, as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been erected, uh, enacted on better promises. Within us, we have a promise. And that promise is eternal life. Jesus says, he who has the Son has what? Life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, you want to have life. You want to have that promise. That, can't, that cannot happen by a list of rules of do's and don'ts. And so he's going back and saying, these priests that came before they offered up sacrifices but, and offerings, but also for themselves because they were sinful, they could not change what was happening within. They could only ask for forgiveness with what was on the without, the outside, their actions. You, on the other hand, have a priest that has given you life because he breathed into you the breath of life. So you should have something different operating in you. The law of the flesh is death. Right? Can we agree on that? The flesh wants what it wants, and it wants contrary to what God wants. Okay? In fact, if you read uh, Paul, Paul's letter... Um, he talks about, oh, wretched man that I am, who will release me from this body of sin? I do not do the things I want to do. I do the things I shouldn't do. Blah, blah. And he goes back, and he's wrestling with this. And he says, it's, it's sin that's making me do this. But the sin is within me. But blessed be the God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has what? Paid for that. So I no longer have to live under the rule of sin. I can now live under the rule of life. Why do you sin? rhetorical question you sin because it's your nature to sin who's the strong man who makes the decisions in your life if it's you and your flesh you will sin and continue to sin if it's the Lord and his Holy Spirit living in you then you will walk in righteousness it's up to you you choose you choose which dog is going to be the bigger dog in your life. And I remember one theologian said, it depends on the dog you feed. Whatever you feed will become master. If you feed your flesh, feed your own desires, feed your own wants, feed your habits, feed those things, those things will rule in you. If you feed your spirit, do the things of the Spirit, get into the Word of God and know it for yourself and live it and deny the flesh, as Paul, as Paul said, 
I what? I buffet my body. I make it my slave. He put it aside. He says, I beat it down because what it wants is not my desire. My desire is to have all of God and more of God in me that I might reflect the image of Christ. Because what is important to Jesus? Lives. Lives. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Is that us? If that's us, then we should be seeking and saving. We should be doing the same thing. We should be sharing the gospel. We should be sharing our lives. We should be sharing this place, you know, should be more than just us. We need to be the face of Jesus. That's why he saved you. Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but he who lives in me. Am I reflecting that face every day? In the midst of my turmoil, in the midst of my hardship, in the midst of my circumstances, in the midst of my pleasure, in the midst of my, my, my comfort, in whatever, you take either side of the pendulum you like. Jesus was Jesus all the time. When he reclined at table and was being served and marvelous food being brought before him, or when he was out walking on a road getting to the next location in the middle of the summer heat. He was still Jesus in both. We need to take that on. That's our hope. That's the promise. It's a promise he has for us. Because now we have a greater priest who actually is the tabernacle living in you. In you. According to which pattern? According to the pattern that God has set for you. Now, how many tabernacles were there? A little bit. Two? Then there were three. Well, one tabernacle was set in stone. The other one wasn't. One was set in wood. One was set in stone. The other one set in the flesh. There was the tabernacle out in the desert. We talked about that in Exodus. There was the tabernacle which became the temple. Still the tabernacle of God. Set in stone by Solomon, right? Then we have the tabernacle of the Spirit, us being the temple. Were they all the same? Another trick question. Were each one of them the same? That's not what I asked. No, obviously they were not the same. They were made out of different materials. They were different sizes. Um, even, the, even, the, even the spiritual one is all different. Look at you guys. You guys are all different. I mean, it's all housed with different things. Multiple choice questions. Okay, thank you. That's all right. We're not being graded, so there's, there's no curve here. <laughs> so therefore, the tabernacle 
far as purpose, it's all the dwelling place of the Lord. And where the Lord dwells or is, is what? Holy. Cow. Who felt holy this morning when they woke up? Yeah. <laughs> Not the same. What does it mean to feel holy? Good question. Do you sense the presence of God inside of you? Is there a peace that surpasses all understanding inside of you? Or are you in turmoil? Because what happened was when Jesus went into the tabernacle of Solomon, the temple, if you will, what got him angry? Why did he start turning over money tables and all that kind of stuff? They corrupted the holiness. It was a place of prayer, but they made it into a den of robbers. Why? Can you imagine the noise that was going on in the temple? Animals making all kinds of noise, people exchanging money, people talking, people arguing. Well, that guy over there said he'd give me a lamb for five bucks and you're charging me ten. You know, anger, dismay, whatever you want, all that stuff. It was like the going to the flea market and hearing all that noise. That's not what his house was about. kind of stuff's going on in you? What kind of turmoil is going on? What kind of yelling and screaming is going on in your head? Or is there peace? The presence of God? Is it a house of prayer? Is it a house of God's presence? Because God said, I will allow my presence to be in the sanctuary. In the tabernacle out in the desert, we found that his presence came twice. During the day, it was what? A cloud that hovered over the tabernacle. At night, it turned into what? A pillar of fire that everybody could see. So God's presence was alive and well in the midst of the people in the tabernacle. But now you are the tabernacle. Is that same fire living inside of is it? Is that shade of the Lord, or as Jesus told his, 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 his disciples as he was entering to Jerusalem for the last time, he said, oh, how I've longed to just take you as a mother hen takes his chicks and put you under my wing. Protection. No matter what. Because Jesus already knew what was going to happen in 70 years to his beloved city and his father's house. You know what happened 70 years later? It was destroyed. All the way down to the foundation walls. And that's the only thing that's left of the temple. Church, I don't want that to happen to us. That if we don't get this concept down, that he's living and vibrant inside of us, that we 
turn over our own money changers. We turn over our own temples. We get out all the animals that are in there. And we clean up house inside of ourselves. We will not experience the presence of God in us. And if we don't experience the presence of God in us, you will not put on the face of Jesus. You will have another face. And that face won't cut it to be his witnesses. I want my face to be able to shine in a way that people see that and go, he's been with Jesus. When Moses came out of the tabernacle, the first time he came out, he didn't put a veil on his face. It was open and everybody was shocked because he was glowing. There was some supernatural something over him that it was on his face, that people were like, it was so obvious, they were frightened. So every time he went in daily to talk with God and to get the Pentateuch that we have here today, as he went in to get that information, he, when he came out, because he had been with God in the presence of God and with God and holy, in the holy place, he had to put a veil on because he didn't want to scare the people. But now the veil has been torn asunder and we're supposed to shine the holiness of God. Let your light shine, Jesus said. Put it up on top where it can be seen, not under, not under a barrel. That's what we're supposed to be about. The author is telling us as we begin to look at the new covenant that we have here. He says this, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand, I love that, to lead them out of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant and did not care for them. And I, and I did not care for them, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them upon their hearts. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they shall not teach, and they shall teach not, they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to, for, to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. When he said this, a new covenant he has made, the first obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete, and growing old is ready to disappear. God has made a new covenant with us through Jesus Christ. His body was broken. His blood was spilled. That's how God makes covenants. God made a covenant with us that you shall forever be with him. And he will write his law on your mind and on your heart. 
which means from the heart comes the things that we do. Your heart makes you do things. Your heart makes you, if you love, your heart makes you do stuff. Stuff you would never usually do. Strange, weird stuff when you're first in love. Your heart will make you do things, right? Jesus has written a new law in our hearts. It's the heart of love. It's the heart of mercy and compassion. But it's also a heart of holiness, of being able to change things from within that need to be changed because they're not worthy to be brought into the temple. There are things that you cannot bring into the temple. You can't bring unclean animals into the, into the temple, you know, which sucks because I really like carnitas, and, you know, they could, that just was not a temple food, you know. But God is offering this new covenant with us for our time. And it solves the problem that the old covenant could not solve, that the old religion could not take care of. And this is kind of where I'm making full circle to that comment I made earlier about young adults, is it solves, first of all, here, notice how many times God uses the personal pronoun I. I will make. I will do. I held them by the hand. I, you, God, is the, God is the first one who begins to reach out. It's rarely you. It's rarely us going to God and reaching out to God first. He, since you were born, started reaching out to you. While I was yet in my mother's womb, he knew me. He reached out. And yes, the cliche was right. He has a plan for me just as much as he has a plan for you because you're his individual temple. Your temple is unlike anybody else's temple. Amen. It's got its own personal hangings in there and all kinds of stuff going on in there. And, it's, and it was made, tailor-made for God to inhabit that space just the way you are. You don't have to be anybody else. You can be you. Isn't that great news? I know that was freeing news for me because I thought as a pastor I had to be a certain way. Oh, I want to preach like this guy, or I want to put on like this guy, or I want to be, because they're all successful preachers, and I, if I just do their stuff and copy their thing and do their style, yes, I'll be successful. God says, I already got them, and they're the original. Why would I want to copy? Why don't you be original you? There's a thought. Yeah, just be you. God's going to use you because you are you. That's it. You don't have to try to be someone else. I'm going to try to be like this guy or that gal or whatever. Forget all that. God takes you warts and all. Yes, for those of you who have warts. Notice that these pronouns are positive pronouns because they're better promises. He offers a better way. The law that comes within stays with you, not the law from without. The covenant of the law is so much like a list of do's and don'ts that we take that into our regular existence today. 
that, oh, oh, because the Bible says, now, hear me out on this before you make a judgment call. Yes, God wants us to be holy, and there are things that we should not do because we are his. His children should be doing his thing, right? If he's our father, we should reflect our father and his desires and his wants and his things. We should be about our father's business. But he's not so rigid and hard where you have to do it a certain way. Here's the list. Here's how you do it. You know, it's funny. When Jesus talks about the talents and the servants, the three servants with the talents, he didn't tell them what to do with the money. He said, here, I'm leaving. They knew because they knew their master because we know that the one that didn't do anything with it said, I knew you to be an exacting man. I knew that you wanted me to do something with this talent. And the master says, because you knew that about me and yet still did nothing, take away your talents. And he kicked them out. And he gave it to the one who had ten now. He doesn't tell you how to do it. Because you're going to do it the way you do it. It just has to line up with the word. That's where the balance comes. We can't say, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be all for the Lord and stuff. We had so many, in, in, theology, in theology school and seminary, we had so many things as we went through the history of the church and some wild offshoots that went out. There was one wild offshoot where this, uh, this group was coming into England and they believed that their, their leader was a prophet and so they put him up on a horse and the ladies believe they were free, that there's neither male nor female in heaven. So they took off their dresses and they walked into town naked. I don't think God was too happy about that. And that shut that down. So we have to be wise. We have to understand that there are, there are rules. But if it's all about the rules and not about the freedom to God to you, freedom of God to use you in the way you are, then that doesn't that doesn't jive with Him. What made it's funny when you think about it. God had been speaking to His people for thousands of years when Jesus came on the scene, and when Jesus came on the scene and began to teach, He didn't teach like all the guys before Him. This is the Son of God who's been with God since the beginning of time and all the prophets and all the patriarchs and everybody up to the time of Jesus when he's born. And he comes out and he doesn't teach the way they teach. He doesn't talk the way they talk. He doesn't act the way they act. Did God change his pattern? He didn't? Yes, that's his character and who he is. But did he change his pattern? He did. He's always changing his pattern. You know why? Because he's the creator. He's always creating. And so here Jesus came along because he had to be different because what he was doing was something different. He was taking the law and making himself 
to be the law and to answer the law and to complete the law so that you no longer would be bound by the law so that a new law, a new covenant could be within you that you could live. A law that comes from the heart of you because God is in your heart. Now your desires are his desires if you walk by the Spirit. You'll want to do the things he did. Did Jesus break the law of Moses? He did not break the law of Moses, but did he break the law? How? Healed on the Sabbath. Not supposed to do that. Okay, that's a good one. What else? The apostles worked on the Sabbath by doing what? By rubbing the grain to get this, the corn. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, very wise. Yeah, it's work. Healing is work. Considered work, but not by God. Not by God. Not by the not by the Mosaic law, but by the Pharisaical law that was around the law. So Jesus comes and gets back to the true spirit of things, like he's trying to get back. To you. So we don't have to do the things the way the old church did it. We don't have to be like the old church did it. We can be us and allow God to work in us how he works in us. But we have to do one thing extremely well. Allow his will to overrule your will. God's offering a new covenant. The new covenant means we have to let go of the old covenant. The new covenant means we're entering into a relationship agreement with God. Jesus says that unless, how do you say it? Unless one be born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus said, how can a man go into his mother's womb again? He said, no, no, you're not getting it. What is born of the spirit is spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh. We need to be born again. We need to get our flesh off the throne of our heart and allow the Holy Spirit, Jesus, to sit on the throne of our heart. So, Analyze thyself to see who sits on the throne. If it's you, you got to wrestle with yourself and get that person off the, off the throne. They don't belong there. The Holy Spirit belongs there. But let me promise you, if you do that, if you do that, if you trust God with your life, with your whole life, and nothing but your whole life, you will receive every promise that he has for you. Not only the promise of eternal life, but you also have promises of wisdom, promises of strength, of God's abiding presence, of his holiness, and of his provision in your life. All those are promises that he gives to his children. 
but you have to be his child, not his prodigal child, but his child. I hope today, even though maybe others have failed to keep their promises to us, that we would grab hold of the promise that God has for us and that we would allow him to rule over our life and to do what he's called us to do. No matter what our situation or our circumstance does, trust in him. As Job said, you, even if the Lord slay me, I will still trust in him. Amen. That kind of faith. Father, I just thank you so much for today. I thank you for your presence and for your help today, Lord, for we can do nothing without you. Lord, as we enter into a time of prayer right now, Father, I pray that you would help us. Help us to let go of the things that have kept us from you. Help us to not go back to the old ways of doing stuff, but to allow your new way, your new covenant, the covenant of the Spirit that lives within us to rule and reign over us. Lord, right now I pray for anyone here who has had an issue with going back to old and relying on the old to sustain us. Lord, forgive us. Where the old law is obsolete because you have now transformed it. Lord, may you write your law in our heart. May you write your law in our mind. May we put your law into our mind. Father, if we're not into your word, then we're really not doing our part. I pray for those who are spotty, if best, in their reading of your word on a daily basis, that you would encourage them today, Lord, that you would challenge them today to get back into your word, to know your word. Father, help us. Help us not to be tossed around by every wind of notion that's out there, but to stand firm on your word and allow your Holy Spirit to give us grace, to give us power, to help us to stand. Lord, I thank you so much for everyone here today as they've heard your word, Father. May we truly understand that we walk in a new covenant with you. May we truly allow you to lead and guide us. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. 
Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, He washed it white as expense, Lord God, expense of your love, that you would send your only begotten Son, not only to live on this planet to suffer the things that we suffer through in our humanness, but to be hung on a cross. It's in this week, Father, that we remember the final week of your life where you went in as the triumphant king. And yet, in a week's time, hung on a cross, ashamed, smitten. The sacrifice for us all. For you at the cross made a new covenant with us, a covenant that would bring us life, and you conquered death on the third day and rose again, and we celebrate that moment because if we did not have that day, we would be the most pitied on this earth. But because that day happened and you are alive even now, we now can have life everlasting. But not only in the life to come, but Lord, in this life, we can have joy because you have made the way for us to have connection with you. Thank you for your forgiveness to us today. If there has anyone has need for prayer, 
ask Oscar to come on up. And as we sing this final song, come up for prayer.